Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, September 12th, 2021. Today's sermon passage is Hebrews 1, 4 to 14, part 1. If you'd like to follow along, go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 today, we're, we're basically going to begin the rest of chapter 1 as we took so much time there in the first verses of Hebrews. So I'm going to read starting in verse 4. I'm going to go to the end of the chapter. Though we will not get to the end of the chapter today. So verse 4, having become as much superior to angels, that's the topic, the subject, or the title of the sermon today and, and next week. So having become as much superior to angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of right, uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. Back in verse 10, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. Your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your foot? A footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Also, if we were to continue reading, chapter 2 continues the same theme, really, of Jesus being superior to the angels. So we have to keep that all in context in the coming days. And so before we begin, though, as we normally do, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. You are good to us. And today, Father, we worship the Son of God. He is all of these things that we read about Him in Hebrews and more. We cannot fathom 
the, the mysteries that are, that are found in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then even to consider that you took on flesh. And you are, and then you declare the Son. And even as I pray, I feel the mystery and the difficulty with, with just praying, Father, but you're, you're really clear on telling us how to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, Father, I pray that even as we approach these topics the, the next couple weeks, as we continue through Hebrews, that you would just give us great grace. Pray that Jesus would be lifted up. I pray that he would increase, that I, that we would decrease. Father, in spite of me, I pray that you would work greatly. Our sins are ever before us, but they are laid at the foot of the cross. They're not just laid at the foot, they are laid upon Christ himself, who is our sacrifice. And he is seated, even as Tommy read from Ephesians 2. He is seated in the heavenly places and we are seated with him. Once children of wrath are now, here we are as children of God. Help us today, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians 1, Paul speaks of the great name of the Son, saying that God raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Philippians 2, verse 9, he says very much the same thing. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Today, we read very much the same words in Hebrews 1, 3 and 4. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. In the first part of verse 4, he says, we see the word here in the ESV, as much superior. It is the word for better, or greater, or superior. It's used 13 times in the book of Hebrews to show the superiority of Christ and the new covenant. He is, in this book, we will see going throughout, he is superior to the prophets, he is superior to Moses. He is superior to Joshua. He is superior to Aaron. As a sacrifice, he is superior to the old system of sacrifices. He is superior to all of the Old Testament saints. And because the Son is superior, everything about the new covenant and what he brings, everything is better for us. So if you are a Christian here today, we praise God because everything that He gives us is better than what came in the Old Testament. In chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 19, we have a better hope. In 7.22, we have a better covenant. In 8.6, we have better promises. In 9.23, we have better sacrifices. In 10.34, we have a better possession. In 11.16, we have a better country. 
1135, we have a better resurrection. And then in 1140, we read that in Christ, God has something better. Well, in all of these places, it's the exact same word he is using here when he says that Christ is as much superior or better than the angels. So in our text today, the author, through the Holy Spirit, we must never forget that, that, that we are reading. When I, I was reading, the words that I just read from chapter 1 are much better than what I can say about it because it is the Word of God. And so through the Holy Spirit, he continues the theme of the superiority of the excellency of Christ. And he turns his attention to angels, saying, His name is more excellent than their name. He is better. So what I want to do over the next two sermons is I want to try to get through chapter 1. And I'll admit today I, I had three truths, but I'm having to stop after one. So on paper, the sermon is just a little bit shorter. Someone said to me this morning, that's good about being doing expositional preaching. So it just stops off, but it is what it is. And, uh, and so I just want to let you know that's where we're at. So next week, we're going to, Lord willing, get through chapter 1. But before considering our truth this morning, I think it's important for us to understand the context on which the author, I believe, is writing. Why does he compare Jesus to the angels? Well, for us, well, for me, and probably for a lot of us today, this is just a no-brainer, okay? Of course, Jesus is superior to the angels, but if we think back to their context, when the book was written there, the Hebrews, the Jews, that was who this book, this letter was primarily written to. And for the most part, minus the Sadducees who did not believe in angels, they were given, angels in their context, in their minds, were, angels were given a great position in their worldview. In the Old Testament, angels played a role in bringing, revealing God and bringing His Word to God's people and in saving God's people. Here, the angel, the angel of the Lord would show up all throughout the Old Testament. Throughout their history, God would send angels to, to tell them what God was going to do. Often, angels were sent just to give help to God's people. It was also believed that the law of Moses, or the law, came through the mediation of angels. That's Galatians, actually, it's Galatians 3.19. But as, as we've seen from verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews already, God's final revelation did not come through the angels. Who did it come through? It came through Jesus by the Son, who is infinitely superior to them. So, when we think about our three truths, okay, we only got one truth today, only one and then two applications to follow. But in this sermon here in chapter 2, I mean chapter 1 of Hebrews, I have three truths. Well, each of these three truths, each of them has two um, quotations where the author goes back to the Old Testament and he gets two passages to prove his point. Okay? So, and when they did that, in whoever the, whoever the author was here, which I, I personally believe it was Paul, 
but a very strong religious Jewish person who knew the scriptures very well, they would always do this when they wanted to make their point. So two passages prove the point. So keep that in mind as we go through this chapter. So with that in mind, let's begin. I have one truth. The Son is superior because of His unique relationship with the Father. The Son is superior because of His unique relationship with the Father. Look at verse 5. This is, all, this is the only verse we'll get to today. For to which of, of God's angels, or to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Here we see the relationship between father and son. Now, one of the great benefits of preaching the book of Hebrews for me is that the author backs all of his truths up with the Old Testament. And so that's exciting to me because really when, when I preach Hebrews, I'm preaching the Old Testament. Like, because it's going to come out every single week. And so we're getting teaching through all of this from the Old Testament. But the author here is saying, especially to the Jews and those Jewish Christians there, he is saying Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Covenant. All the Scriptures, all the Scriptures, all of them. So when we go back and we read in our quiet times every day, and we talk and we think about what the Old Testament says, and then we come to the New Testament... That's one of the things about preaching Hebrews. That's what it's going to do for us. It's going to help us as we go back to the Old Testament and see Christ there on literally every page. And so that's what the author is saying. Jesus is the point. He is the fulfillment. And so I love this so much. Now, the author's first quotation from the Old Testament to show Jesus' special relationship with the Son and Father is from Psalm 2, verse 7. So if you would, turn with me there. Psalm 2. We've already seen this a bit last week as well. Psalm 2, starting in verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry." And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Wow, the original context for that psalm is the rebellion of the nations. And in that context, the son is King David. David is called the son. He's called a son. And so, but what he's doing, now we, we're not going to go back and talk about all of Psalm 2 right here, but he's, David's bringing out Psalm 2 showing that God had a special relationship with the king. In that context, David, who is called son. Second quotation, 
that he uses after Psalm 2 is 2 Samuel 7.14. And you don't need to turn there. I'll just tell a little bit of, give a little bit of the background. But here we see the prophet Nathan announcing to David... He's, as you, if you remember the story, David wants to build a temple, wants to build a, a house for God. And so as he gets ready to start to build the house, Nathan the prophet comes and says, No, wait. This I will give this responsibility to your son. So from 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 12 and going to 14 there, here's what we read. When your days are fulfilled, talking about David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now that's interesting too because we know that Solomon's kingdom falls after he is dead and we see the great revolution there and the splitting civil war there in Israel and then we see them later carried off into Babylon by the way David's kingdom that's their same kingdom they both are, are never established in and of themselves okay we must keep that in mind but he says and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son well again the immediate context of 2nd Samuel Seven is Solomon. God will be to him a father and he will be to him a son. And God will establish his rule through Solomon. But then, of course, when we continue through the passage there in 2 Samuel 7, we read the prophecy that even when, even when Solomon, excuse me, even when Solomon sins, God will discipline him. But he's still called the son. And so here we see a special relationship between father and son. Now, you know, I, I just, I think of my own children. If you're parents here, I love all of you. And I've told, I've, I've shared this illustration probably a number of times. I love all you children, but I don't love you in the same special way that I love Abby or my children, Caleb or Josiah and, and, Emily, who's just moved away, but we love her to death, although we keep getting new sons. Evan's sitting over here with a big smile on his face. We love Evan, too. So Evan's kind of moving into that kind of like an adopted son. JB's over all the time. Sorry, Ron and Trudy. We, we love him to death. We, 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 as parents, though, I love my children in a special way. Now, this is not a very good illustration. However, when we think about the love of God... You can't just say love is one way. We need context for love. And there is a particular way that God certainly loves the world. But there's a different way, and God loves His children. Today, if you are an adopted child, you're here, God loves you in a special way. But even God loving the Son, and that, that is in a different love Though very much the same, we, we need those contexts. And so, when we come to Hebrews 1, verse 5, the author knows that by quoting Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 
7.14, he knows that the Jews who are getting his letter, they understand both of those passages to be about the Messiah one day. Okay, so he knows that. And so he is appealing to the Jews to see their, their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, who is the Son of God. And as the Son of God, his relationship is different. It is unique, different from the angels, and different from all of God's creation. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have begotten you. Now, when we think about angels, it is true that on occasion, at least one that I know of, they are called sons of God. And in the Old Testament and today, they are given great honor and responsibility. Angels are called the highest of God's creatures because heaven is their throne. Matthew 24, 36 says that. The angels excel in strength. Psalm 103. They are God's ministers or servants. That's Psalm 104. Even says of them they are holy. Matthew 25, 31. Their appearance is like lightning and their clothing is as white as snow. That's Matthew 28. They even surround God's throne. Revelation 5. So when we consider these angels, and even consider Michael, the archangel, he is given the greatest of tasks, or the angel Gabriel. All of these wonderful, high and mighty ways that angels have such a great and honorable position in the plan of God today. But never, this is very important, never do angels address God as Father. They don't do that. We're going to come back to that for us at the very, very end. Nor do the angels, or nor does God say to the angels, You are my son. Now, for a few minutes here, I'm going to give a parenthesis, okay? And move, we're still talking about his Christ, the son's special relationship with the Father. I'm going to come back. But I'm going to give a parenthesis for a few minutes. And I want to just think about this word for a minute. Today I have begotten you. And I just want to do this because it's right here in the text. Now, the word begotten is a word we do not use in our language. Well, you might. Some of you might use it, but I doubt it. I, the literal meaning is to bear or to beget. Now, but I've never heard a mother or a father come to me and say, here's my be beloved or begotten, beloved we might say, but not, here's my begotten son, or here's my begotten daughter. Um, I've just had, has anybody ever heard that? And it's, it's a word that we, we just don't use. And so here it is, we, we have it a number of times in the Bible. But the meaning is much fuller than to give birth. Now, I looked up the word in the form that it is used here in Hebrews 1, and it's used six times in the Bible for just, or translated, begotten. Um, let me read a couple of these. Job 38, 28. Job says, Has the rain 
a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? So there's the, the instance of father, like, but then God is the one who is even begotten. So he, they come from him in some way. He is the source there. And so we see that in Job 38, 28. In Isaiah 45, 10. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Well, there, there's some other cases, but they're basically just repeating what Hebrews is saying here. But in all of these cases that I looked up, the emphasis is upon a special relationship between the begotten one and a father. And the prime example, again, is Psalm 2-7. Speaking of God, who is the Father, and He says, Today, you are my Son, I have begotten you. Now, again, special relationship with David, special relationship with Solomon, but now Jesus. Now, concerning this word begotten, I must say there is much more meaning than what I can get at this morning and what I am communicating. So hang with me for just a, a few more minutes here on this topic. I want, what I want to do, though, even though I don't quite, I can't grasp all the meaning of begotten, I want to be very careful not to say something the text does not say, which is very dangerous do you remember from a few weeks back, we talked about the heretic from the 4th century, Arius? Well, he took the word begotten to mean created. And so he's taking the text, and he says this is what it means to be created. Well, in some contexts, you could use the word begotten in that way, for sure. But does the Scriptures teach that the Son was created? Well, let me just look back down in Hebrews 1. We know this cannot be the case. Look back at verse 2. Through whom also he created the world. Then verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of of his power. Then look over at Hebrews chapter 1 verse verse 8. But of the son your throne O God is forever and ever. How in the world could someone get this from the text? Now, I must also point out that in the original Greek the word for begotten genao it sounds a lot like the word to generate. Many theologians believe that verse 5 is referring to the fact that the Son, the Son, in His essence, is eternally generated from the Father. Now, if you're looking at me like, what in the world is he saying? Just curious, has anybody ever heard of, or thought, or heard that term, eternal generation? We got just a couple of you. Boy, because it's not talking a lot. We don't talk about such things. It's extremely deep and very 
mysterious. I believe this is certainly, tr- certainly true in the Bible, though. The Son is eternally generating from the Father, from the same essence. So He's exactly the same. That's w- Otherwise, why would the Jews want to stone Jesus? They said, we want to kill you because you make yourself out to be God. That's why we want to kill you. Well, in the flesh, we're not looking at Jesus, in essence, being God. <laughs> but when you, Jesus says, Father, I, give me, I'm thinking about after the cross, going back to you, Bless me with the glory, or returning back to the glory that I had before the incarnation. So very clearly. And so some theologians believe that verse 5, that is what I have begotten you is referring to, his eternal generation. There are others who believe that begotten in this context of Hebrews 1 refers to Jesus' virgin birth. A.W. Pink, who I'm using in my, in my studies, and he has a strong point. Now, he, doesn't, he still believes in the eternal generation of the Son, but he believes that begotten is the virgin birth. After all, when we consider God who takes on flesh, this did happen in time. Galatians 4.4 But when the fullness of time had come, God did what? In time, God sent forth who? His Son, born of a woman. And this may correspond, if you'll notice there, today I have begotten you. And so the text does at least open that up for that certainly to be true. Today I have begotten you. So it could be His virgin birth. Still others take this expression to refer to just the day of His birth. Luke 1.35 says this, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Some believe this refers to his baptism. Matthew 3.17 And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said on that day, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Or someone, maybe you could even think of of the transfiguration. When the voice comes from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. Others believe that this begotten of the Son takes place at his resurrection from the dead. Romans 1, verse 4. Paul says he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So what I'm if you're you're still hanging with me a little bit, you're hopefully understanding that this verse has a There's a lot of difference of opinion with folks that think just like we do on what exactly this is. And I realize there is great mystery here. In these first five verses of Hebrews, we must remember this. We see both 
the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. We see that very clearly. Sometimes the meaning has to be his essence, his eternality. And we're going to see that in point three coming up. But sometimes we see that very clearly. Otherwise, you couldn't say certain things about the Son if He were not eternal, if He were not the same in essence as the Father. So sometimes it's clear, the divinity of, divinity of the Son. But other times, and I think more than not, we see the Son in His humanity. And I'll just use the word as, as, Timothy, as Paul does to Timothy. He is the mediator between God and sinful men. He's a mediator. In other words, <laughs> who he is as God we see in essence. And also many times we see him in his work as a mediator. Now, what's interesting though is Jesus is not... From one perspective, he is not the mediator unless he comes and takes on flesh and lays down his life as a sacrifice for sinners. Because didn't Tommy read from Ephesians 2? We are children of wrath. We are sinners. We need a mediator. So if he does not come in the flesh and lay down his life as a perfect sacrifice, then what do we have? We continue on for perpetuity as children of wrath. And so we see this very clearly. And though we see both of these truths, this is, what, this is the great mystery. Jesus is God. Jesus is man. But the authors and the author of, of, of the new authors of the New Testament always speak of Christ. As one person. One person. That's what's so confusing to us. Because he is one person, but he has two, two natures. Okay? Essence of God and then human nature, just like ours. No different from us. That's what makes it so difficult. And so what happens is sometimes we overemphasize His divinity. And then we, on the other side, we overemphasize His humanity. And then that causes us to err on both sides. And so I know what I'm talking about now is very mysterious and very difficult. However, what's cool about Hebrews is we're going to be able to work through some of these things. And I think we already have seeing, and I have learned so, so much. And so in the end, yes, Jesus is eternally God. He is eternally generated from the Father. And you're welcome to come talk to me about that at another time. But the context, what's very important for Hebrews 1, the context of the begotten Son, in our verse today, I believe is still the humiliation and the exaltation of the Son. Yes, from all eternity, He is the Son. He is, in essence, God. But for our sake, 
God did what? What's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that... Who's the world? Well, the world is the world. Sinful world. Sinful people. Me and you. For God so loved sinners. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That is the context of incarnation. God taking on flesh. So that is the context, very clearly. And only as our Savior, or we could say our mediator, is He given the name above all names. Again, this is such a mystery. But the more that I read, the more that I pray, the more that I study, the more I look by faith to the Son, the more I understand. And so, by way of quick application... You get this truth from me this morning. We get this from the text. We, don't, we don't, certainly don't understand it in all of its mysteries. However, I would urge you to read. When you come to these things, read and think, wow, what does that mean? Listen to the sermons. Pick up some good books. But come and talk to your elders about such things. And just, I, I can't even say it, but... Because it's such a great mystery. But just trust God by faith and continue to search. Because even in my preaching of Hebrews, already, just in the past few couple months, my understanding of these things that I'm talking about right now that are very difficult has grown leaps and bounds. And I don't think as Christians we think about such things very often. We just think about what's practical for me. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. All of the things we do are still grounded in such truths. And so at the end of the day, I, I just have to say, how can this be? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments. How inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. All right, there's my parentheses, guys. And so the sermon was more there today than anywhere else. And I hate knocking it off today, but I'm going to have to do that. And then so this, some of this won't come back together until the last two truths. But let's bring us back to the end of the sermon and just think of our truth. Jesus, the Son, has a special relationship with the Father that the angels do not have. This is true because of His essence, and this is true because his, of His humiliation as mediator. So with that in mind, I have two applications. First application, I think this has already come out. Because of these truths, we worship God in His infinite wisdom and His most beautiful plan that we see in the gospel of Christ. It's just amazing to me to think about the gospel of Christ and the plan of God that Christ would be one person, yet two natures. Go and figure, but it is necessary to be the case. Yes, 
He is the Son from all eternity. Right before going to the cross, though, Jesus prays, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Just John 17, 5. But this exaltation back to glory does not come until after his life on the earth and his work on laying down his life as a sacrifice on the cross. And, and his declaration of the Son of God in power does not come until after his resurrection. And now he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so I, I say that to say also that we can't include the gospel we, unless we include all of these things. We just mark it down to God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And a lot of sermons I hear, and I've been guilty of it before, I'm sure, but a lot of sermons I hear, they assume the gospel. They assume these deeper things. They assume, you know, the, 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 the life and the, and the sinless life of Christ and the, and the laying down of, the, of Jesus on the cross. But as we keep preaching and we just assume the gospel and just tell our people now at the end of the service, come to Jesus, when we really haven't given the gospel, then what have we done? So I think these kinds of things practically for us help us when we talk to people about the gospel. We must include his, the incarnation which is his humiliation, his incarnation, his life, sinless life, his, what he did, fulfilling the law, laying down his life on the cross, taking the sacrifice, the, the, our sins upon himself as, as he laid down his life as a sacrifice, and then <clears throat> rising again, then there appearing to his disciples for, for those days, and then what? Ascending back to the Father where he's now seated and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. All of this, brothers and sisters, is the gospel. And because of these things, we worship God in His infinite wisdom. Final application. In Christ, if you are a Christian today, we call God Father. That is so amazing. And in, again, way to read those verses this morning. Children of wrath, Tommy. Uh, from, from Ephesians 2, children of wrath, not children of the Father, children of wrath, but because of the gospel of Christ, because of Christ, we call God Father. Because Jesus is the Son, with this special relationship from all eternity, and because He is declared to be the Son of God as, as, as He's completed his work as mediator, we also call God Father. Romans 8, 14 and 15. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The difference between us and Jesus as the Son is that He was not adopted. He was the Son from all of eternity. He was always the Son. But 
we did not know the Son until His incarnation. Because of God sending the Son, now, by the Holy Spirit, we are united with Christ. And we are the children of God. We are adopted children. The the Bible has a lot to say. And so now, how does Jesus tell us to pray? When you pray, what do you say? First two words, our Father who is in heaven. And, And then if we put those things together, I love putting theological truths together. He's in heaven. Ephesians 1 and 2 says, where are we seated with him? You seated in the chairs? Yes, seated in the chairs today. But your position is with him in heaven today. And so, therefore, he is the great high priest of the, of the book of Hebrews. And we can say, Father. I just, I just think, how many of us, even though some of us have good fathers, some of us have bad fathers, but for those who are in Christ we have the best Father. And he, he, not only does He just treat us like children, we are His children by adoption. So with that in mind, I want to close and just read 1 John. And I'm going to read verse, <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 28, and then to chapter 3, verse 3. Just as we think about walking out of this place as God's children. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank You for these words from Hebrews. Thank you. We know that your relationship with the Son, the special relationship, both from all of eternity and then even what has come in time in the sending of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in taking on you, taking on flesh, and then doing everything that you've done. We know that Christ Jesus is supreme today. He is better than the angels. And Father, we look forward even to looking further at this next week. For today, help us as we go out of this place. May these truths help us a little bit or a lot that we might worship you and that we might be different people in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. 
You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.